Do you want a politically incorrect gateway to a real history education? Then go to mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 170. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. You can like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan, and you can subscribe to me on YouTube at Brian McClanahan. Go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. Give me an email address, and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders in American History, along with the audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. And of course, you can support the Brian McClanahan Show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. I've got four classes there. The most recent being on the Declaration of Independence, but I also have a course on the War for Southern Independence, Secession, and one on Alexander Hamilton. So go out and check all those out. It's always free to register for McClanahan Academy. Uh, just click Enroll. Uh, you don't have to buy a thing. And of course, if you enroll in McClanahan Academy, you get all the best deals when the new classes come out. And I will be having one come out in about a month and a half or so on the Constitution and American constitutional history. So you're going to want to check that out. Go to mclanahanacademy.com, get all that great stuff, and that'll also help support The Brian McClanahan Show. Okay, I was uh, sent an article several times. This thing's been making the round on social media, and I wanted to talk about it because it's a very interesting concept, one that, um, or an interesting topic, I should say, not, not a concept, but a topic, and one that I think needs a fuller discussion um, in fact, one listener sent this to me and said, uh, you know, the person that wrote this article obviously has been listening to your podcast. And that's not the case, but um, certainly we're kindred spirits, and I know the author. The, the article I'm talking about uh, was published in uh, the American Spectator uh, on July 26, and it's entitled, America's Next Civil War Will Be Worse Than Our Last. And it's written by Harry Crocker. Harry Crockner at um, Crocker, sorry, excuse me, not Crockner, Crocker. At uh, at Regnery, um, Regnery Publishing, which is now a, a part of the Salem Publishing Group, um, and I've known Harry for near a decade now. He actually was the person who helped me publish my first book, and it was through Regnery. It was the Pig to the Founding Fathers, and uh, Harry's been uh, fighting this fight for a long time. He wrote the Pig to the Civil War among others, uh, and that was uh, it's a, it's a fun little book to read, and uh, he's a great writer. Uh, he's now uh, getting involved in, in writing a series of uh, novels um, based on George Custer, and uh, the book that's coming out is entitled Armstrong. It's, uh, it's uh, being published on August 14th, and so um, he is someone who is on our side. And the individual that sent this to me pulled a quote out of it and said, can you believe this guy said this? Um, and he, he, the quote he pulled out from this article said this, In the end, the war was fought over a single legal issue, whether the states that had freely ratified the Constitution to form the Union could freely leave the Union if they felt it no longer served their interests. So he doesn't get into this idea that somehow the states were uh, fighting over slavery. So he's not buying into that. And of course, his pig to the Civil War, uh, the pig is the politically incorrect guide to the Civil War. Um, 
says the same thing. So I wanted to I wanted to focus on this particular article because there's more to, there's a lot of stuff to get into with this. And I think it it fits nicely into the theme of my podcast which is think locally act locally because this is not just about the war. I mean the title is America's next civil war will be worse than our last. And the point of the article is to give some advice on how to avoid that. Um and that's what I want to focus on. So I'm going to get I, and, and I'm going to get into a little bit of historiography and what people have said about the war, some of the things he says about the war, and I'm going to slightly disagree with him on a couple of points. But this article is is well worth your time to read. It's very short, uh, maybe about a thousand, a little over a thousand words. It's a, a nice little piece that does hammer home one particular point that I think needs to be made on a regular basis. And this is something Don Livingston, who is the um, President of the Abbeville Institute, we were having a conference on on nullification, excuse me. This was, uh, oh gosh, a little over a year ago, a couple of years ago, I'm sorry. It was uh, in August of 2016. We had a conference on nullification in Atlanta, Georgia. And one of the Q&A sessions, it was asked about this very topic. Do you think we're going to see another war? Or, and not just that, do you think that there can never be any kind of reconciliation between the North and South again. And it's not just about the North and the South. It's red states, blue states, those on the left, those on the right. Can there be any common ground any longer in America? And so essentially the question got down to division. What is it that's dividing America today? Or Americans? What is it that's dividing people that live in the United States today? And Don Livingston's response, and I said, look, my, my response was, well, I mean, uh, there have been very divided times. I talked about Reconstruction, how divided America was during Reconstruction. If you go back and look at these old election maps during the 1870s and 80s, it's a very strong division between North and South. You can see it in every single election. There wasn't a whole lot. of Once you got out of Reconstruction... Once you got out of that period and the South was allowed to vote the way it wanted to again, it wasn't under military occupation, Um, you saw a very clear division between North and South, and it was close, razor thin. I mean, you're talking about some elections that had a difference in the popular vote of 10,000 votes for president. 10,000 votes, or 100,000 or less, several times. Uh, 10,000 was the closest, but, you know, 100,000 votes separating the two major candidates so razor-thin majorities in the popular vote, which really doesn't matter. I mean, this is something people are harping on all the time. Donald Trump lost the popular vote. He's not the legitimate president. This is just so stupid. It's stupidity on display. And, of course, that's social media for you. Um, but the division was clear. And so I said, you know, I don't know if America is as divided as it was then. And Don Livingston stood up and said, no, we're more divided now. We're more divided now, and and Harry Crocker points this out in this piece, we're more divided now because Americans don't even see eye to eye on many things that were once considered to be just understood. Things like the definition of marriage. Uh, When it comes down to gender identity. No one in the 1870s 
had a question as to what whether someone was a man or a woman or what marriage was. I mean, these are fundamental issues, and it's something that uh, everyone, north or south, agreed on. America was still predominantly Christian. We can see that there are divisions in, in doctrine, dogma, you know, theology, but Americans were still primarily Christians in 1877 or 1896 or even 1941. Still predominantly Christians. Uh, following World War II, Americans were still generally homogenous. We didn't start seeing, and you did have periods of time in the early 20th century where you had a large influx of immigrants into America, uh, even in the 19th century, um, where you had these, but it was nothing compared to what you would have following World War II, which, of course, is changing the character of America. But in that, in that immediate aftermath of World War II, for example, America was fairly homogenous. This is the America in the 1950s that a lot of a lot of people um, say that people on the right pine for, and uh, certainly that America in the 50s is different than America today. But I want to read some of the things he says about America, and this is true because he's getting into the fact that there is no common ground any longer. He uses a a, a story of George Custer. Uh, at a wedding in Virginia where it was a wedding of a Confederate officer and he was there in his Union uniform and nobody shot at him and he spent a couple of weeks flirting with the ladies and singing Dixie and that never would have happened and that's true. It, won't ha it wouldn't happen today because the vitriol, the viciousness that Americans have towards anything Confederate, anything Southern, which is being stoked by groups like the SPLC and others, anything Southern, when, you, when all they want to do is tear down, spit on, destroy, vandalize, anything that has to do with the South. And it's not just Confederate statues. It's also George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison. Don't believe me? Just go look these things up. Everyone who listens to this podcast, I'm sure, knows this is the case. It's the founding generation, anything Southern, any Southern symbol, anything Southern is under attack. The only time you've seen this in Western civilization is during the French Revolution. The iconoclasm during that time period was uh, maybe more pronounced than now, but I'm not so certain because even the leaders of the revolution understood that these symbols of the old regime needed to be preserved. And no one's talking about that now. You have Landrieu in New Orleans taking the statues of Lee and Davis down and just putting them in a warehouse, not even considering putting them anywhere. They're just going to go to a warehouse and sit. They're not going to go to a museum. At least the uh, terrorists who ran the French Revolution understood that they needed to go to museums. The symbols of the old regime needed to be there. They even understood that people in France needed religion. Of course, they created their own. The uh, uh, deity of reason and there was a counter-reaction to that. When Robespierre lost his head, uh, this was the counter-reaction to the destruction, the cultural destruction going on in France. People had enough of it. And I'm not so certain that we've reached that point yet. 
where people have had enough. But you think about what happened when people had enough. They lopped off Robespierre's head. Of course, he had already uh, directed the uh, execution of over 30,000 people. Hopefully, we won't get to that point. But what Crocker is pointing out is that could happen. I mean, look, if there's ever another war, that's what we're talking about. Not the war in 61 to 65, where certainly people were killing each other, and we lost a million people. But after the war was over, nobody lopped off Jefferson Davis's head. Nobody killed Robert E. Lee. Nobody considered, uh, well, some people considered it, but no one did it. Davis was in prison for a time, but people in the North wanted to see him released. The only reason he was released is because people in the North didn't think Davis should be tried for treason and executed. You see, Americans, the majority of Americans, before, during, and after the war, supported the Southern position, if you count the South and those who dissented from Lincoln in the North. That's a majority of Americans. And the Southerners were Americans. This is a stupid position that some little Internet troll uh, has been uh, saying to me recently here, well, do you think these Southerners were Americans or were they Confederates? They're Americans. Confederates were Americans. This is the stupidity of modern Americans. But the point that he's making is back in 1990, even in 1990, people could still respect people like Lee or Bedford Forrest you can't do that anymore. It's impossible. So there was a certain consensus, and this is a, an important term in American historiography. There was a certain consensus, even up to the early 90s, that Confederate uh, soldiers, or Confed there, were, there were good noblemen fighting for a cause. Uh, they were certainly uh, individuals worthy of admiration. Their cause may have been wrong, but they were uh, individuals who deserved to be respected, and people like Lee and Jackson were good Americans, perhaps fighting for a wrong cause, but they were still good Americans. And this particular position was born out of reconciliation following the war. That term now is a dirty word. If you look at David Blight's Race and Reunion, the whole point now is to, is to demonize the idea of reconciliation. That should have never happened. This is the radical Republican position after the war. What has happened now? And a, a good friend of mine, Kerry Roberts, has said, look, if you want to know what America looks like, if it's run by New England, look at America today. And this is true. We live in an America where now New England is dominant. And in every single way, and that position that the South deserved to be punished, they were traitors, they weren't Americans, that's the New England radical position following the war, and during the war, of course, as well. But that wasn't the consensus up until about the middle of the 1990s. This is why Harry Crocker had to write The Politically Incorrect Guide to the Civil War, because this trend was moving the other direction, and he said, well, we gotta, we got to fight back. And this little piece fights back. Now, he says something that's interesting, I think. He says there are big differences between the North and the South. And he goes into all those differences. This is also a question of historiography. Was there consensus or conflict in America leading up to 1861? 
he takes the position, Crocker takes the position, he said, but they had far more in common than separated them, beginning with the fact that, as Lincoln observed, both men or both sections read the same Bible and prayed to the same God. Well, um, was the South or were the South and North different leading up to the war? Was there consensus or was there conflict? And this is uh, people like Richard Hofstetter and Lewis Hartz have said that the only the American history is consensus except for the war. And the big issue was slavery. This is the one thing they could never see eye to eye on. I disagree with that position entirely. In fact, I think that Americans even saw eye to eye on slavery, but the, the, the consensus was on many things. The conflict was more pronounced culturally, and it had nothing to do with slavery because Northerners generally could care less about slavery. Northerners were complicit in the institution. The real issue came down to power. And there was consensus in 1788 when the Constitution was ratified as to what that general government could do, but that consensus quickly evaporated once the first Congress met in 1789. And that came down to what the general government could and could not do. And so that... What happened as Southerners started saying, look, we believe in uh, limiting the power of the general government. They were pushing a consensus position. And the problem was that those North and South, but generally in the North that didn't believe in that, were pushing a conflict position. The North was stoking the flames. And when you go back and you look at uh, the ratification debates, there was some question, even in the North, as to whether they wanted to be in a union with the South. Massachusetts questioned this quite, quite extensively. Do we want to be in a union with the South? And they did bring up the issue of slavery. But it was when you look at this conflict, it came down to the powers of the general government. It's all about power. And there was no consensus on that. You can take every single issue in the period leading up to the war that created conflict, and it's about one particular thing, power. Who's going to have the power, and which section is going to dominate the government for their own political economic reasons? So there was more conflict than consensus. I think you can find consensus after the war. That's when you see more consensus, not before the war, but after the war, when this spirit, the spirit of reconciliation was dominant. Okay, we fought it out. We lost in the South. And so we're going to go be uh, good citizens of the United States. We've always been Americans. Even Northerners said that. They've always been Americans. Uh, we're going to be good citizens of the United States, though, and uh, do our part. We're going to fight for the United States. We're going to go out and fight the Spaniards in 1890, uh, 1898. And we're going to go out and fight the, fight the, uh, the Hun in, in 1917. We're going to go fight uh, the, the uh, juries in... And the Japs, in 1941, we're going to do our part in the South, and we're going to do it well. That was consensus. We're going to become good stewards of this strong central authority that won. When we look at some of the most ardent proponents of a strong central government, they were Southern after the war. You look at the Wilson administration, how many Southerners were pushing big government, what we call big government. 
Now, I think there's a reason for that, and that reason was they wanted to use the vehicle that they had been given to get back at New England <laughs> because they wanted to get back at those financial interests that had so devastated them. That was the reason. But certainly, they were interested in a strong central government. They were interested in that during the New Deal. Southerners were ardent New Dealers. So they were being good progressive Americans, good progressive American citizens of the United States. It's what the North said they wanted him to be, and that's what they were being. And there was general consensus on race relations, North and South. There was, to, to sit in, back and demonize the South for that particular position is just stupidity. General consensus on those issues. You go back and look at what's happened in Chicago in 1862. The city of Chicago de- uh, segregated the public schools because for years... African Americans weren't even allowed to live in Illinois, and now during the war, they're allowed to live there, so the city of Chicago segregates the public schools in Chicago, right? So this was a general belief, North and South, to do these kind of things. So that was consensus. Where there was no consensus was on the power of the central authority before the war. And Crocker says that, and I've already read the quote, in the end, the war was fought over a single legal issue, whether the states that had freely ratified the Constitution to form the union, could freely leave the union that felt no longer served, felt no, it no longer served their interests. So that was the issue. And he brings up the Confederate Constitution and how it was similar to the U.S. Constitution, but uh, it put a lot of restraints on federal power, which is true. I talk about this, all these particular issues in my war class at McClanahan Academy. I mean, to get into all these things. He talks about how the North and South venerated the founders. This is also true. Um, And how they all shared this Anglo-American heritage, which, of course, Jeff Sessions, as he brings up, was just blasted for saying. That's also true. They had a different vision of what the founding meant, and I think that's the conflict. They certainly had a different vision of that. Uh, They did not share the same belief in the legacy of the founding. I mean, Union soldiers went off to war saying they're fighting for the founding fathers. They're fighting for the original Union. Confederate soldiers did the same thing. Their interpretation was different. And he says that the South was a slaveholding, free-trading, libertarian-leaning, conservative, Christian, agricultural, aristocratic Sparta, while the North was a commercial, industrial, protectionist, transcendentalist, social gospel, democratic Athens. He gets into this idea that there's a Peloponnesian War, which is something that Basil Gildersleeve said uh, years ago. Uh, there were differences. If you look at David Hackett Fisher's Albion Seed, cultural differences were pronounced beginning in the 1600s. But then he says today is different. He says today, however, our divisions are so deep and fundamental that Americans cannot even agree on what marriage is or what a man or a woman is. He says, which is pretty darn fundamental. The lunatic self-righteousness of the left, which you can find also in the 1850s, where disagreement is bigotry to be prohibited by law or even condemned and prosecuted as treason, is a consuming, destructive fire that will not be easily quenched and cannot be reached by cool waters 
of rational argument. I agree, 150%. I've said this before. I mean, I've talked about the destructive left. I've talked about the violent left. I've talked about what we're facing in America. And then he says, well, he asks the question, what can we do? Here's his solution. This is where I would disagree with, with uh, Mr. Crocker. And I, and I think he's saying this. I don't think we necessarily disagree in, uh, in reality. Uh, but his solution in the piece, it's a little softer than, and, than what we really need to do. But he says, so what can we do? We can start by trying to stop the left's war on America's past, which is poisoning the wellspring of our national identity. He mentions William McKinley, uh, who's approving of a Confederate memorial at Arlington. He talks about Eisenhower saying that even though he desegregated schools in Arkansas, he still kept a portrait of Robert E. Lee, so did George Marshall, uh, who, of course, was fighting real fascists <laughs> in Europe, where the, the Antifa is just a bunch of masks, masked, violent idiots. Uh, so we're going to try to do this. Well, I mean, this is something we are, are trying to do through education. The problem is we don't control the levers of that any longer. When you have um, morons at Ivy League schools running history departments, and then the, that all trickles down into uh, other colleges and universities across the country, and then you have your public education system that, if you read the textbooks and, and most of these systems that uh, are problematic, well, you create a whole generation. Then you couple that with social media and other things. You create a whole generation and more of unintelligent buffoons, which is what you have in America. And, I, and I'll give you an example. Another example from, from social media just in the past couple of days. The Hill. Donald Trump has said he's, he's got better poll numbers than Abraham Lincoln. The Hill says, Donald Trump lies about poll numbers. Well, Abraham Lincoln polled less than 40% in 1860 when he won the election. That means 60, almost 61% of the population didn't want him as president. doesn't matter if there were three candidates or four candidates. In this particular case, there were four. How many candidates there were? 61% of the people didn't want him there. And he was certainly not certain he was going to win re-election in 1864 until some union victories got him 55% of the Northern vote. That means 45% of the North didn't want him as president, and there's probably some voter fraud in that, as people like Jonathan White have pointed out. There's probably some voter fraud there. Okay, So if you add the South, if you want to say, well, I mean, Americans, because Southerners were Americans, obviously they don't want Lincoln as president. They're fighting against him. He still has lower polling numbers than Donald Trump today. But then you have idiots say, well, uh, he only, he, there was every other candidate, so how can you say? And certainly, if, if the, once, once all that was out of the way, yeah, more people supported him. He had greater poll numbers. No, he didn't. He was a minority president his entire time as president. If you add all Americans together, and Southerners were certainly Americans, it is the Confederate States of America. This is some of the idiotic positions that people have. I can't even get over it sometimes, how stupid people are. Stupid. So, I'm not certain education is going to work. 
I'm not certain it's going to work at all. And then he says we could also try to lighten the mood a little. So he's going to use uh, Custer as a way to do that. Um, he says, Crocker says, America's story is a glorious adventure, not a grim catalog of irredeemable sins. The sinners in the hands of an angry God, progressive God, sermonizing that comes at us an endless, stultifying repetition from the press, Hollywood, and academia. Today's historical bug-eyed Puritan witch burners is the acid bath dissolving our culture and our nation. This is true. I mean, all of this is true. So how do you do it? Well, he says, we got to educate and we got to lighten the mood. Well, that's not going to do it. It's not going to do it at all. This is where you get to think locally, act locally. The only thing that will save America today, because frankly, these people, these hysterical, bug-eyed, Puritan witch burners, as he describes them, are lost. There's no redeeming them. Just go onto social media and see. There's no redeeming these people. They can't come back. And they won't come back. They're self-loathing individuals. They are Yankees. They may not even be from New England. They may not be from New England stock, but they're Yankees in the purest sense of the word. They are self-loathing individuals. Yankees hated themselves. They hated themselves. And wherever they go, it doesn't matter. They think that if they go to, say, South Carolina, it's going to make them better. They can't because they have a disease called Yankeeism. And so the only way to solve this problem, the only way to solve this problem, is thinking locally, acting locally. It is federalism. It is decentralization. It is going back to the idea that the central authority needs to be as limited as possible for essentially two things, commerce and defense, and that's it. And commerce meaning that it only has to regulate international trade, not internal trade. And defense meaning that only when we're attacked. If the central authority only had those powers, which is what the proponents, the friends of the Constitution said this is the only powers it's going to have in 1788. That is the only way to save America. This is what Southerners were consistently saying. Calhoun was saying, I'm a unionist. The problem is the North has violated the Union. Southerners are saying, we're all unionists. The problem is the North is violating the Union. You see, they're violating the understanding of the original compact between the states. That's why we're leaving. So, it's, it's nullification, it's decentralization, it's thinking locally, acting locally, it's ignoring the center. That is the only way to save America. It's understanding that what California does in California should stay in California. What Alabama does in Alabama should stay in Alabama. That is the most democratic. You have more control over your state and local governments than you do anywhere else. It's understanding that not every issue is a national issue. That is the only way to save America. The only way. The only other option, of course, is secession. This is why I would love to see California leave the Union. Because I think that would actually save America. Dismembering a part to save the whole is what Edmund Burke suggested during the American War for Independence. You see, he saw it too. He let the American colonies go because we'll save the empire. Let California go to save the rest of America. Because if you don't, it can get to what Harry Crocker is talking about here. And I think that is the point. 
there has to be a political solution to this. It's not going to come culturally because these people that advance these positions cannot be culturally redeemed. They are too far gone. There was no coming back. The disease has overtaken them. Yankeeism has overtaken them. And they can't come back from it. And we live in New England. And Yankeeism is everywhere. It doesn't matter if you're in the South, the North, it's everywhere. So you have to start thinking small. You have to think locally and act locally. That is the only way to do it. It's why I've used that particular phrase on my podcast now for 170 episodes. Uh, and if we don't do that, we're doomed. We could see another war. I'm not so certain it's going to get to that. I do think what would happen ultimately is that people that um, don't accept the Puritan image of America that now the progressive left wants us to accept, and eventually the people that don't will become the minority. We already are in many ways. I think there's going to be um, not a physical pogrom, a hunting down of these people, but certainly you, you won't be allowed uh, to uh, have much of a say in anything anymore. You will be a remnant. Um, so uh, I think that's, that's entirely possible. Um, could it happen? Certainly. It's impossible. Will it happen? I don't know. Hopefully there's enough people out there that believe that, uh, you know, the other side is valuable uh, and that it can continue to exist. Will lighten the mood? Certainly, that will be nice. Educate people? Yeah, that's a great idea. But at the end of the day, the only thing that will save America is thinking locally and acting locally. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show. (laughs) 